Welcome to the Facility Dude Podcast. Here's your hosts, Bob, Papa Dude Bittner, and Tony Butler. Welcome, everyone, to the Facility Dude Podcast. My name is Grace Tester, and I'm here with Bob Papa Dude Bittner. How are you, Bob? Uh, you know, I'm doing great this morning, Grace. It's a beautiful morning out, and uh, I'm just having a, a great morning so far. Awesome. Well, tell us a little bit about what we're going to talk about today, Bob. Well, Grace, I thought we'd talk uh, for the next two weeks uh, something about uh, something that I've been involved with all my career, and that's building automation systems. There's uh, a great variety of them. A lot of different companies make them. Uh, most buildings have them in, but I'd like to talk a little bit about the history of them first, and then we'll kind of walk through some of the, uh, the differences in them, and next week we'll talk about the functionalities of them and what they uh, do and why we're not using them to their full capability. There's this myth that around the BAS system or building automation that I always, in my head, when someone says that, I think of like the little black box on an airplane. Yeah. <laughs> like it's this mysterious thing that somehow tracks all of the stuff in the building. Well, you know, it, it, uh, it's interesting you say that because that's how a lot of owners treat it. As okay. Some little black box over there in the corner that they really don't know a whole lot about. Right. It's doing something over there. It's calculating something, it's turning things on and off, and unfortunately a lot of uh, building owners and managers uh, really don't get the full capability out of the system. If you look at it and follow the industry at all, there's a couple terms uh, that are thrown around for the same thing. People will refer to it as the BAS or building automation system. Some will refer to it as the building management system or BMS, and then some will refer to it as energy management system, EMS. All of them pretty much meaning the same, the same thing. thing. Okay. <laughs> and uh, so it becomes a little bit confusing right out of the gate. Well, that clears up a few things right out of the gate. <laughs> so that's good. But as we look back kind of as the evolution of it, a lot of it really was geared around a better performance from an energy standpoint. Back in the early 70s when we had the oil embargoes, and uh, I'm old enough, believe it or not, <laughs> to uh, remember standing in line for uh, gas at a mm-hmm. gas station, uh, my friend and I actually ran a gas station, and we would go in the middle of the night, not turn on the lights, and fill up our own vehicles. And just the light <laughs> on the pump caused people to stop by and want to get gas oh, at yeah. 2 o'clock in the morning. And so there was a lot of attention being paid to energy and how it was being spent because it was being limited. And so uh, prices were going up. And so the building automation system started to come into play. But even before that, there were time clocks that were being used that you would go around in the building and and there might be 15 or 20 of these individual time clocks on each individual piece of equipment Mm -hmm. and they had little pins you'd screw into them and then you'd set the time on it uh, by turning it and setting it to the right time and then when it would get to the certain time it would go by the pin and it would turn the machine on the air handler on or whatever it was the fan on and then when it got back to the next pin, it would do turn it off. A lot like uh, some of our Christmas tree lights today right, that right, you have right. when you set up outside. So they were used uh, for a long time, but of course it required every time there was a time change, somebody had to go out in the field and change the time on the clock. If you wanted to move it up or down a little bit, you had to go out and change the pin setting on it. So for a, a long-term solution, it really wasn't practical because... Gotcha. Uh, they just widened out the time that it was on and said, well, I'm not even going to worry about changing the time on these things. I'll just spread out the time that's going to be on. And so it wasn't 
uh, being as efficient. And so with the um, onset of the computer and uh, being able to process things with uh, uh, some logic behind it, mm-hmm. uh, the, uh, the building automation system came into being. I can remember the very first one that uh, I put in, I was, it was at a big medical center, actually it was uh, Duke University Medical Center. They, uh, they had a uh, removable disc, much like our, what we have now as a little thumb drive. You know, a few years ago it was three and a half inch and five and a quarter. Right. Well, well, this disc was about 18 inches in diameter. Oh, wow. So it's and, like putting uh, a record in. <laughs> yeah, it was exactly. It was like putting a record in. It only held uh, about a very small amount of data on it. Right. A lot of the things that were out in the building were being controlled off of air pressure. Mm-hmm. And air pressure was very good uh, indicator, and we used a... Uh, a gauge of three pounds to 15 pounds, we found that was the optimal area to control things that would open valves and close valves and turn switches on and turn switches off. And so the air, as the air pressure uh, moved, you could, uh, it, it would move the, uh, the temperature of something. Even today, even in our office here, there's some pneumatic controls. And when you turn the dial, you hear a little I actually just did that before we started recording the studio. I was trying to turn the air down in here, and it made a noise at me. <laughs> and so uh, what that was doing, it was relieving some of the pressure off, and it was changing the position of the valve mm. and making it cooler or warmer in a space. There's a little piece in there, and as it heats up, it lets air pressure off, or it tightens up and it holds pressure. And so all of those things uh, was a very good way to actually control uh, devices. The downside of it was was that you had to run tubing all throughout the building. Right. There was all this tubing that went all over the place. And a lot of places, a lot of copper tubing. Uh, I can remember uh, at Duke when we put that uh, system in, there were just miles and miles and miles of copper tubing throughout that. Some beautiful handiwork by some guys, but the price of copper increased. And then we brought plastic tubing on, didn't look as nice, Was would became brittle over time. And so there was just some downsides to all of it. The other thing is if moisture or uh, oil got into the airlines, it would really cause a problem and uh, you had to do a complete cleanup and that was a nasty job gotcha. and caused problems. Hmm. And so we evolved then as computers were evolving and uh, electronics became more prevalent, we went into what is called, uh, what's referred to in the industry as DDC controls mm-hmm. or direct digital controls. Then instead of running airlines, we ran wire. Right. We ran wire throughout the, which was a lot easier to run. Uh, we could actually run multiple signals on the same wire to different devices, getting feedback, and so it just made it more practical to put wire in as opposed to to the air pressure in airlines. So I do have a question about that. So when you are setting all of this stuff up, when it was still on the you know the the older versions of this. What was in the purpose of the BAS? I mean, you, you could control everything from the one spot, or was there any kind of readout that you were getting back at that at that time? Yes, you could get uh, you could get readbacks, uh, feedback on what temperatures were, what gotcha. the temperatures uh, readings were, positions of valves. But it was basically based on the air pressure that was in there, okay. so the range. And so it wasn't as granular as we get today. So the the direct digital controls is, is much more accurate mm-hmm. of a reading than uh, what we would get with air pressure. Gotcha, okay. Um, but the air pressure really worked great for modulating valves, making valves work and so forth. But there was conversion out in the field. So 
a, a device that was run off of air pressure. Uh, it would convert it to electronics, which was actually a little uh, relay that turned something on that then turned the motor on, turned hmm. things on and off. So it was, uh, it was very interesting. Uh, the, the neat thing about it was is that you could open up and a whole panel and there would be all these air gauges on it. And so you could see what the air pressure was. Uh, it was almost like hooking a multimeter up now for our direct digital controls and right. see all that in real life. So, uh, and it was really, uh, we'll talk a little bit about protocols, language protocols and building automation systems, but it was really an open protocol, what we call an open protocol today, because everybody knew what three to 15 pounds was and everybody interpreted it and used it the same way. Okay. But when we became uh, involved with the uh, direct digital controls, all of the different controls companies started to write their own language to control buildings. And so what what it did pretty much was it locked everything down from other vendors, other people being able to uh, read that data and use that data. People like Robert Shaw, and uh, that's an old name in Powers, those, those companies are no longer in existence, have been bought out by some of the bigger ones, by Schneider Electric and uh, Johnson Controls and, and uh, Train and Honeywell all of those major players today in the controls industry. What happened was, was when if you put a, let's say you put a Johnson control system in a building and Johnson had a proprietary software in there, then if you wanted to do an update to a system, if you wanted to add something on, you always had to go back to Johnson controls. Right. So owners over time became kind of ticked off about that. Mm -hmm. So they said, you know, if, if uh, Johnson... If I fall out with Johnson or I fall out with Honeywell, I still have to use them because I'm tied to them. Right. And so it really pushed to um, some open, what we call open protocols today. And the open protocol allows different manufacturers to use the same language, programming language, so that if I become unhappy with something that maybe Johnson Controls is doing, then I can go to a Honeywell. Or if I become unhappy with what Honeywell is doing, I can go to Johnson Controls and they can kind of pick up and understand the language, the programming language. Gotcha. Okay. So it's getting everybody on the same page. It's getting everybody yeah. on the same page. There's two primary uh, open protocols today, which one is BACnet, which is really managed by ASHRAE, which is the uh, Association of Heating and Air Conditioning Engineers. And then the other one is called uh, Lawn Talk. It is managed by a private company called Echelon. But both of these companies have open protocols. And we won't go into all the nuances of that, but it has made it much easier for building owners to specify and get a, a more open system so that more people can work on the system, more people can be a part of the system, and you can get data in and data out of the system easier by these open protocols and making the management of it. But from even in the early days, even with pneumatics, there's a lot of functionality in a building automation system. It's just, it's more than a time clock. But unfortunately, a lot of people treat it just as a time right. clock, just turning things on or off, turning lights on or off, or heating on and off. And uh, there's so much more capability uh, associated with them. And, uh, but it takes, some, it takes some effort on the owner's part to be able to, first of all, understand the system, 
understand what you want to do with the system, and then program it and manage it the way you want to. What would be some of those things that you were talking about that, that are different than just a time clock or the turning things on and off? What are some of the other uses? Well, great question because, you know, as you, as you know from outside, the, the temperature outside the building always changes, right? right? Mm-hmm. Some days it's warm, some days it's cool, some days it's just right. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it's it's kind of like uh, the three little pigs, you know. Or the three bears. <laughs> or the three yeah, bears. the three bears. <laughs> yeah, the three bears. And... Uh, uh, so some days when it's nice outside and you want to use outside air for cooling, mm-hmm. then a building automation system can interpret that and say, hey, the outside air temperature is just the right temperature, and instead of cooling air or warming air up by a chiller or a boiler, why don't I just bring out a lot of outside air in because mm-hmm. it's the right temperature. So a building automation system can determine that. It can sense what the outside air is. It can manage opening and closing dampers gotcha. that allows more air to come in, more air to go out, uh, and get free cooling that way. Again, all around saving energy. Right. Uh, a lot of it is, is truly driven about saving energy and making occupants feel better in the space. Yeah. And, and so then also things like Fire alarm systems can be tied into them. Okay. Security systems can be tied into them to make decisions uh, to turn things on and off. So there's a whole array of things out there. If the humidity is high, what do you do when the humidity is high? You can change the parameters of the operation of the building uh, to optimize uh, energy savings hmm. and the comfort of the individual. There's uh, this whole uh, science around how you feel and it's really done off of not only what the temperature is, but what's the humidity right. uh, outside. So you go outside on a day that uh, you've got 90% humidity out and it's 80 degrees out and you just are walking around like a dog outside because, <laughs> you know, you're sweating. And That's you when just my hair feel, starts to look like Diana Ross. <laughs> yeah, there you go. And, uh, you know, you just feel really bad. Well, the next day it might be 80 degrees out. Right. But you might have a humidity of 50% or 45%. You say, wow, it really feels refreshing out today. Mm-hmm. Well, what makes that change? Well, it's the humidity and our whole how our body reacts to that. So really what the building automation system uh, is designed to do is help change all of those parameters, uh, use logic in doing that, so I don't have to go in and say, we well, you know today I see it's going to be uh, a day that I could use outside cooling, then I change that parameter and bring in outside cooling. You, an individual can't do all that and right. make it effectively. Right. And so that's a lot of the things that a building automation system has done. And then we also have moved on now that we talk about the direct digital controls and wiring to a lot of wireless right. uh, devices. Yeah. Everything has wireless, is a wireless device. Everything's connected to the internet and everything and, uh, has wireless. It, it's uh, the new term out, the internet of things. Right. Well, you have light switches today that uh, you can turn the light switch on. And particularly in office areas, kind of like what we have here where we have cubicles, they now have light switches that you can just put on a Velcro, Velcro strip on your wall. You can put that switch and you can move that switch around yep. and just flip the lights on and off. And they even made them where they don't even require batteries anymore. So that was one of the hurdles in wireless devices is how do you power them? How long will they stay powered? 
And so there's just a lot of things that are uh, moving in a very uh, fast pace about data that's coming into our building automation systems and what we're going to do with it. Right. So what, I, what I'd like to um, just kind of wrap up with just a little bit of this history and knowledge of where it came from uh, by saying that there's so much functionality in a building automation system, which we're going to talk about the next time, that really we're not taking full advantage of. Right. So what to do with all of that data that you're getting, because now they really can do almost anything, and you're getting all of this raw data in. So just knowing what to do with it when you get it. What, what kind of decisions are you going to make? Right, right. Is it going to be that little black box that sits over in the corner <laughs> right. and just records things till something tragic happens and then we go look at it? And, exactly. Or are we going to allow it to manage our buildings? So uh, let's talk about that the next time. Sounds like a plan, man. We'll uh, we'll come back next week and we'll carry on uh, BAS Part 2. All right. <laughs> All right. Thanks, Bob. You guys can always catch us on iTunes or Stitcher. Leave us a, or send us an email at podcast.facilitydude.com. Bob and I take a look at those every week. So please let us know if you have any ideas for stories or podcasts that you would like to hear more about. Um, and we thank you for your time. We'll see you next week. Thank you for listening to the Facility Dude Podcast. We love to hear your feedback about the show. Leave us a five-star review on iTunes and help other facility operations professionals like yourself find the show. Email your questions or comments to podcast at facilitydude.com. Be sure to like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at Facility Dude. We look forward to hearing from you.